It's Tuesday, July 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Jeff Fisher. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, Chris. Good to be here. Happy Prime Day. Prime Day. Have you more bought, appropriately. Have you Prime bought Day. anything? No, but sadly, the first thing I did this morning, stupidly, was check my email, and I saw the Prime <laughs> email from Amazon, and I clicked into Amazon, and I was impressed by how quickly the site was working on my phone, and I thought, wow, this company knows what they're doing. But they didn't entice you didn't to buy. Didn't crash. Not yet. I didn't buy anything yet. I, after work tonight, I will take a look and see if anything is very enticing, because they have more than, <clears throat> let's see, more than 100,000 deals on offer. Last year, they made about 400 million in revenue on this one single day with revenue in North America up nearly 100% year over year on this day and this year should be even bigger they sold last year they sold nearly 34 million no 34.4 million items on this day chris so that's about 400 per second. So the knock uh, on Amazon a year ago was well they they promoted these deals but they they ran out of stuff quickly you know some of the other things and then there were sort of more absurd uh, items being pushed but right before we started taping our man behind the glass Dan Boyd pointed out to us that one of the things you can buy apparently today is a $50 Amazon gift card which Amazon will then add Ten dollars too. Mm-hmm. So, spend fifty. We'll give you the extra ten. Which I'm guessing that's something they're not going to run out of. Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, right. I, I it's bought free money, Jeff. Foolishly, I bought something on Amazon a few days ago, not Prime Day. I'm a sucker. And as I was checking out, they said just add. I think it was a hundred dollars to your gift card, which I didn't know I even had, and we'll give you five more dollars. Now that's a five percent return in an instant. So of course I did that. I mean, let's face it. Uh, some of the stocks that we talk about, we'd love to see a five percent return on some of these Exa- businesses. Yeah, definitely. Well, Amazon has learned over the years that they can spend money to ultimately make money, and even when they weren't making money, the stock was doing well because. And I think that still remains true because their ultimate addressable market is so enormous compared to where it is today. They can be much larger, and now they are making money most quarters. Uh, they can move levers to make even more money if they want to. I think they have a lot of pricing power that they're not tapping into. They a lot more sales are now through third-party vendors, which increases Amazon's margins and lowers obviously by lowering their own costs. And it's just a phenomenal business. Nobody is doing nearly the amount of uh, expertise in retail selling that Amazon has has proven to have across such a wide spectrum of a product. So there's no Pepsi to Amazon's Coke. Let's talk about a stock that's up a hell of a lot more than 5% in the past few days. <laughs> Amazon? That, no, <laughs> Nintendo. Uh, Nintendo shares are up 60% in the past three days thanks to Pokemon Go, which is a new game for mobile phones that is staggeringly popular. This is something that is uh, a game you can download for free in the App Store. And then, of course, like a lot of games, you can spend money within the game afterwards. And we'll get to that in a second. But this is based on Pokemon, the cartoon of what, 20 years ago? Something Long time like ago. Where you can use your phone to hunt down Pokemon creatures, and you can do it either within a cartoon game universe, or you can hit a button and the Pokemon characters appear against the backdrop of whatever your phone is looking at. So, if if we were playing it here in the studio, 
looking at our phones, you could see the studio, and then, oh, in the corner, a little Pokemon character would appear. Right. It's all GPS-based, and so it's getting people outside. A funny quote I read was, wow, this got me outside, and I actually enjoy the outdoors. But then again, there are people running into trees or falling down steps, or you yeah. know, everyone already is walking around with their phone in front of their faces, and now this is only furthering that uh, that situation. This game became available last Friday. It has already been downloaded on more Android phones in the United States than Tinder. You were talking about Amazon's addressable market. Presumably, the Pokemon Go addressable market is larger than Tinder's because that's. Single people, probably within a, a basic age set, whereas Pokemon Go, there are kids playing this game. There are adults in this office who are playing this game. Yeah, there are families, uh, adults saying, this has brought our family together, we're all playing it. And it, it points to the immediacy of our little micro-economy, and maybe not so micro, in that a company can have a hit like this, and it can reach tens of millions of people in a in a weekend and the stock as you said can jump on that prospect now will will the earnings flow through follow through with all this traffic it may or may not i wouldn't want to speculate on the stock just based on the the flash in the pan so far of this game but uh, it does show you how if you tap into the zeitgeist or create a new one you as a company can immediately benefit but clearly there are investors who believe to some degree that this is not a flash in the pan. I mean, I could see a 10% pop. You could even talk me into a 20%. This is a 60% increase in the share price in three days. That's it's 1999. I was again. gonna say, you and I were, were were both there. We were both here at the Motley Fool in 1999. We remember those days. This feels a little bit like that. Now it, there is there I mean, we can get to the money in a second, but this does feel just at a gut level. A little 1999, 2000-ish. It does, and I would caution that the stock market, the S&P, is hitting a new all-time high as well uh, the last couple days, the last two days. So, there's there's more buying and more speculative buying right now than there might otherwise be. A lot of people, especially traders who have been missing out, <laughs> see the new highs and, and jump into whatever stock is moving, or the market as a whole. And This is a good moment to point out that Brexit was just a few weeks ago. The world was falling apart. People said that this was the beginning of the end. And less than a few weeks later, the S&P is hitting a new all-time high. So, it's another reminder, a string of many that go back for decades, that you don't know what the market will do next. And we at The Fool have done well by staying invested in good companies. And then you enjoy these sudden surprises like, oh, a new all-time high. So, in terms of the money, because it's a free game to download, but within the game, <clears throat> Excuse me. You can spend money. You can, uh, I guess, buy your way to get more powers. I don't know. Clearly, this is not a game aimed at me. Um, Nintendo, according to one report I read, gets about ten percent of those in-app purchases. Thirty percent of that money goes to Apple. That's a. This is. I That's mean, good for Apple. If obviously, you're, if you're if you're Apple, you're sitting back, you're watching this, and you're saying, no, 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 but keep downloading. <laughs> More. So, so yeah, Chris, the, the stock was about 17 just a few days ago. Now it's 28, as you spoke about. That gives it a nearly $24 billion market value. So it's added billions, roughly, what, 10 billion in market value in just the last week on this game. Is the game going to create that much value? Only if it has a lot of staying power. I have not seen any data, I'm sure it's not out there yet, pertaining to how much they're selling inside the app. 
uh, once you once you download it and start playing it. So there's no way to know as an investor yet whether this is paying off for Nintendo or to what degree it's going to pay off. Let alone nobody knows how long it will stick around. My my brother who lives just outside Paris, I saw him last year last summer and he told me about a game he was playing in Paris, GPS based, where you on your phone you go outside, you find portals that come and go, and you walk through the portal and you grab a key or a treasure or something like that. And then if you're sleeping, you, you know you own it on your phone. But if you're if you're not guarding it people can come get it from you. And so the end result was he was addicted. He was out three in the morning walking around Paris. You're sleep deprived going brother. Going through portals to pick up keys. Yeah, and his wife said, you're nuts. You were taking this game off your phone. Uh, that fizzed out. As far as I know, that game fizzed out. He says, maybe this, maybe this will too. That's the other thing about these instant micro economies that the online world can create. They can very quickly be replaced as well. Many of them are. Flash flashes in the pan. Would I buy Nintendo today? No, but do I understand gaming as well as others may? No, I'm not a not a big gamer. But we've seen this so many times with the stock leaping sixty percent, and it, it usually, in my experience, gives a lot of that back afterwards. It will be interesting to see as we head into earnings season what uh, what questions come up on the conference call. Because I think if you're an analyst covering Nintendo and you're on that call, whenever it is in the next couple of months, you you got to be asking about this. Well, and we <laughs> so it's like, come on, let's get to the money. How much were you making a day off of this game in terms of in-app purchases? So you and I, because because I don't do my job well, I didn't download the app first before our conversation, so I I can't really speak to it. But we spoke to a guest today. Yes. Andrew, who said that the app is very buggy, that it crashes all the time. Yes. Although I talked with a couple of our coworkers who were all too eager to show me how the game worked. And granted, it was just a couple of minutes of, of demonstrating how it worked. Uh, but uh, they, they seemed pretty pleased with it. So well, far. next time I promise to the, to the listeners to, to carve out time to download it and play it a bit before I talk about it. I was truly busy all morning from until this moment. Well, so I didn't get to do it. All right, but after what you said about your brother, I don't want to I don't want to get in trouble with your lovely wife uh, because you become addicted to Pokemon Go. I want to hear from from listeners what they think of the game. Does it have staying power? Drop us an email. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. That's marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Jason Lyon or Leon I'm sorry for butchering your last name. A question from Jason L. How do you uh, spell it? L Y E N. Lien? Mm, uh, yeah, I, I. Let's just move on. <laughs> I have an options question, but I'm not even sure if it's simple. Perhaps it is better suited for Jeff Fisher? Yes, is the answer to that, which is why Jeff is in the studio today. Uh, Jason continues With news breaking of the Tesla Motors bid for Solar City, I'm wondering what will happen. To short put options on Solar City if it gets acquired before the expiration of the options. I'd like to warn our listeners. I probably should have done this at the top. We're going to go deep into options nerdland, uh, which is why Jeff is here. So let me repeat this: With news breaking of the Tesla Motors bid for Solar City, I'm wondering what will happen to short put options on Solar City if it gets acquired before the expiration of the options. Specifically, I am short January 2017 puts with a strike price of $35. I became resigned earlier this year to having to take delivery of Solar City stock at that price in January, but now I'm wondering if it, if I will have to do so earlier. I'm trying to figure it out because it has liquidity implications for me. If this comes into play before January, any help about this is greatly appreciated. 
Well, be ready to possibly take shares of Tesla stock much sooner than that. Let's talk about it. I, I like talking about options because it gives me an excuse to speak slowly. And I like that's to, good. I would like to speak when it comes slowly to options, all the time. But... I need you to speak slowly. <laughs> so if you sell a put option with a thirty-five dollar strike price, you are selling to open that contract. You're writing a contract into the market that says, "I will buy the stock at thirty-five anytime between now and expiration." So Tesla is offering to buy out Solar City at a net buy price in the high 20s, between 26, 28, depending on where Tesla stock is trading. But, but most likely that's about where it will get purchased. Um, so that means, for the person who owns the put contract that you sold to open, they have the right to sell their Solar City stock at 35 at any time. They're going to exercise that right and sell the stock at 35. Anytime that they believe that that's the best they can get. So they could do it right now if they wanted to. They could wait until the deal is about to be completed for the $26, $27 share price and then exercise and sell the stock at $35. So the bottom line is whenever this deal comes to completion or gets close to it, those options are almost certainly, assuming the deal is below $35 per share for Solar City, then they will certainly be exercised and you have to buy the stock. At 35, which then will turn into shares of, of Tesla. So, yeah, if you're concerned about liquidity, now would be the time to address it. Uh, buying into Tesla is very different than buying Solar City. Perhaps you don't want to. Perhaps you want time and space to think about this, which means you could just buy to close the put options right now and the obligation and just completely end it and then think about whether you want to get into Tesla stock yourself. So, if you're worried about li- liquidity, that may be the, the the step to take right now. You're someone who is very experienced with options. You you run our Motley Fool Options service. I'm and there are a bunch of different, for lack of a better term, there are a bunch of different moves you can make when it comes to investing with options. I'm curious about this particular move. Short puts. Is that is that a move you like to make? Is that something you rarely do? Just regardless of the company, how often are you looking to do this? That is the strategy I use most of all, and we do as well in Motley Fool Options. And I've been using a short put strategy for 16 years now, since 2000. You do this on companies that you would like to buy at a lower share price. So you're you're basically setting a limit price, which is your strike price, and saying if the stock is below that ex- at my expiration date, I'll buy the shares at that price. You get paid to do this to set this up because you're basically selling an insurance policy to someone saying in this case Solar City, no matter what price it's at, I'll buy it at 35 from you. So it's a very good income strategy. I've been writing put options on Facebook the past 2 or 3 years while I also own the stock always agreeing to buy more shares at a lower price and getting paid typically a few dollars per share every month for that agreement and if the stock doesn't go down I just keep making that income. So yeah, selling put options is a great way to buy a stock lower and get paid while you wait for the for your ideal buy price. And but, we do it all the time. But are you looking for a particular type of company in terms of its stability because it sounds like Jason didn't make this move 
with the thought that, oh, and by the way, they might be acquired by another company that I'm not. Yeah, at a lower in. price than what I'm paying. Right. No, certainly not. I wouldn't typically write puts on something like Solar City because it doesn't have cash flow yet, and so it's very difficult to value, and so you're speculating, and you. In that case, you just don't know where the bottom is. You can try to guess on based on market cap, but you really don't know. So I try to write put options on a company, even Facebook, where there's cash flow that you can value, and so you can put a stake in the ground and say, okay, the stock is 118 right now. I'd be really happy to buy it at 110, so I'll sell a 110 strike price put and get paid while I wait for that price to come along, because then you know the multiple that you're paying, and you have a clearer picture. You hope to the value that you're getting. Solar City doesn't offer that. Any stock that doesn't have earnings, it's rare, unless I'm really confident and and eager to own it, that I would write puts on it. Because the reason being, you can only make the income that you're initially paid, so it's a limited reward, but you have all the risk of the downside, so you really want to know how to value that company first. Uh, Second reason being, most people write options, whether it's put options or covered call options, for income, and so you tend to do that on a stable business. You don't need a, a speculation. A stable business will pay you the income just the same, so why take the risk, uh, if that answers your question. By the way, Motley Fool Options is opening again, Chris. I don't think you knew that. I did know that, yeah. Uh, later this month. So Is it later this month, or is it in, in August? I think it's end of this month, or yeah. early August, something like that. We'll we'll figure that out before the <laughs> next time we come in the studio. <laughs> Just gotta watch, keep an eye out, and you can join our happy service. <laughs> Your merry band. <laughs> uh, couple of housekeeping notes before we uh, wrap up with an earnings preview. Uh, we've got uh, we've got some uh, later in the week on Market Floor. We've got guests coming in from out of town. We've got Alex Scherer coming down from Pennsylvania for tomorrow's episode. And a reminder that uh, tomorrow's episode, Wednesday, we'll be doing uh, Facebook Live. Video, so so check that out if you're on the Facebook and interested. It's not the Facebook anymore. Chris. It's not. It used to be the Facebook, and they dropped the the. Oh, yep. I could have sworn it was the Facebook. It's okay. Is it? It is the Google though. <laughs> and it is the Twitter. <laughs> uh, and Jim Gillies coming down from the Great White North on Thursday. Uh, so all right, al- Jim. Always good to see Gillies. So he'll be in the studio for that. And uh, and as you mentioned, uh, on the other side of the glass today with our man Dan Boyd is uh, one of our stock advisor members, Andrew Easton, and his girlfriend Stephanie. So thank you for uh, for coming by, uh, and and spending time at Fool HQ. Indeed. Earnings season kicking off. Alcoa reports today. I know Alcoa is not one of the companies that you're following or or particularly care about, but. What are you looking for this earnings season? What's uh, what's on your radar? In earnings in general, uh, all the companies that I follow, of course, I'm eager to see what they report. But across the board, we're looking for insight into how companies see the next half of the year going. Typically, the second half of the year is stronger for most types of businesses, including computers and technology. I'm looking to see what how financial stocks are doing, given the persistently low interest rate environment that we're in, and their outlook for what that's going to mean for the duration of, of this year and beyond, because I think interest rates are going to stay low longer than most of us expected, even as recently as a year ago or a few months ago. So overall, Chris, the good news is not I'm not looking for things that are that much different than I have in the past. In regards to cash flow strength, earnings 
margins can margins hold up you know for several years now we've heard from people we're at peak margins and margins are going to come down so far we haven't seen that at most strong businesses whatsoever um, we're seeing pricing power at a lot of companies Starbucks prices go up today for instance as you have talked about earlier and uh, yeah it's what's great about investing what I love about it is there's so much nuance every company is different and it's all about context so I love to see the earnings report. I spend the least amount of time on the press release. That's there's some whitewash in a press release, of course. It's made, no. made to look as good as possible. <laughs> really? The conference call you get a lot more insight into, and thankfully conference calls are now open to everybody. And the transcripts are great to read because you can really go through it with a fine-tooth comb. And then the quarterly SEC filings, where all the footnotes exist and all the details to the cash flow statement and balance sheet and it's really fun to go through it every quarter and you pick up incremental knowledge. So even with a company that you followed for 10, 15 years, as I have with some, you're still learning something new every quarter and it, it reaffirms your investment case. It may help you add more shares or you find over time your belief can slowly dissipate and you'll move out of that position into something you like better. So I like quarterly earnings. I almost wish they were biannual instead. Twice a year would be plenty. Four times a year is a bit of a treadmill. But still, it's it's everything that comes together and then all the context around the particular company is, is really still fun. I'm glad at this advanced age, <laughs> still fun to go through for me after 20 years, 20 some years of doing this. It's, it's still exciting. Um, a couple of thoughts, but let me start with this. And no Brexit. I don't think there'll be much talk of. Well, Brexit. that was one of the thoughts I had when you were talking. Was I think if you're the the average business, you're thinking, well, between the start of the year, you could think back to January and the the early days of February, and just how how volatile the market was then. Between that and the Brexit, I, I, I'm I think a lot of companies and a lot of investors are hoping that the second half of the year is is better, at least for at least from a, a, a heart palpitation standpoint. Exactly. I'm sure it'll be a common ish common topic in conference calls. How is Britain going to affect you? And I think the changes will generally be too slow. And now Britain is is the Prime Minister, she wanted to stay in the EU, so she's going to try to hammer out deals that, that are trade friendly, I'm sure. Uh, the changes should be slow enough that most companies will be okay. I would, I would think. You mentioned the word treadmill, which got me to thinking about our CEO Tom Gardner, who at this, <laughs> as you and I are in this studio, t- Tom Gardner is on a treadmill right now, walking a marathon, and doing it. I think he's doing this five days in a row. Five days in a row. Yeah, twenty-six some miles. This is the bet that Tom had made about the the market dropping ten percent, and the market, you know. In 2014, the S&P would fall at least 10% on yes. one occasion, was Tom's bet. If it did not, he would walk the equivalent of a marathon on his treadmill every day for five days in a row, Yes, which I think the most he's ever walked in a day, he said, was 13 miles or something like that. Yes. So, to do 100 and some miles in five days, it's, I hope we have a secession plan in place <laughs> for Tom. Well, and so, the market dropped something like 9.87% or did. something like that. It yep. came within just over one-tenth of a percentage point from from dropping. And so, I um, really have to hand it to Tom, because if I were CEO, and it's, I, I might I might have just rounded up. I would, I, that was close I enough. I would have rounded up. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. Um, um, Tom has, has turned this into um, a fundraiser for uh, a, a Charity near and dear to his heart, um, and that's um, DC Prep, 
Um, and, and we'll tweet out the link to this and include the, the, the link in the description for this podcast. But if you go to 131fool.com, that's 131.fool.com, you can um, be part of the fundraising uh, that Tom is is doing for uh, for the for DC. One three one dot fool dot com dot com. Do it. Even if you go on there and and just uh, hand out pray post some praise on it, or if you can donate a few bucks, because this is the only time this is going to happen. Yes, he is not going to do this again. Yes, yes. We, and we talked to people who said you're going to be so incredibly sore, like twenty six miles a day. How much prep has Tom done? Has he I don't know. trained? I don't know. I've, I I have actually avoided asking him that because <laughs> I didn't I, I didn't know if he was doing any prep and I didn't if I want to make him nervous or anything like that. But he's, you know, when I walked by his treadmill desk, he was pretty fired up. He was he was moving he was moving at a pretty good clip. I will say that. Did you find out how far he had, had walked so far? Today? I didn't ask because this is you know this is the beginning. I don't <laughs> I don't want to throw him off. That's what's the, well. The clip is maybe three miles per hour if you're here eight eight hours he, and don't stop he at all. He was walking at a faster clip, than five this. or six miles per hour. Yeah. Um, okay. I, so Matt Kopenheffer, um, uh, who's over in uh, Germany, uh, I remember talking to him one time. He was he had run a 100 mile race, and it took him I think just under 24 hours. This was a couple of years ago, and I remember asking him, "Okay, 100 mile race." You've got your family helping you, and with you know at different points along the way with food and all that sort of thing. At what point during the race did you think to yourself, "I've made a terrible mistake"? <laughs> and Matt, who does more, you know, ultra marathon type things than you know, I figure if anyone is going to be geared up for a 100 mile race and go into that sort of thing very clear eyed, it's Matt. And he said, "Mile 17." And I was like, "Oh my God! You still had 83 miles to go, and that's when you thought, oh, this I've, I've made a terrible mistake.'" I wonder how many times over 100 miles you think of quitting that you just have to really push yourself to to yeah. get to the completion. Because yeah. my typical eight-hour day is every 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Like, what am I? I should just go home. I need a nap. Um, <laughs> what, one one more actual investing question before we wrap up. You were talking about the financials and and looking at them this earnings season. Uh, within the financial space, are you looking? I know, you know, Visa, Mastercard; those are companies that you really like a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you looking at big banks too, or is it really just more on on the the Visa, Mastercard side? Of big the- banks, like in Motley Fool Pro, we own Wells Fargo, and then the brokerage houses such as TD Ameritrade have more of a headwind, or let's say a lack of a tailwind when interest rates are really low. We as investors in those companies are. Banking on interest rates going up so that their earnings can go up. There's a direct link to higher earnings for for banking and financial stocks that have money that they can then invest for the interest. So we're looking to see how they're containing costs and what their contingency plan is for a persistently low interest rate environment. And so far, they're doing pretty well. That said, the stocks are not doing well regardless of that. TD Ameritrade is down quite a bit this year. Wells Fargo as well. We know these are quality businesses, and we know ultimately they should continue to create shareholder value. But what they do in the meantime matters a lot, and we actually are hoping that they don't veer off and try to find other creative ways, two creative ways to to make money while they wait. You know, there's a a growing uh, temptation to go outside of your circle of competence to try to grow earnings when when you're waiting for years on end for higher rates. But so far, so good. So yeah, we're looking at big banks. Visa, Mastercard, not really affected by interest rates one way or another. We're just looking at 
uh, transaction growth for those businesses. And again, as you said, Chris, I still like both those stocks. I have for years here, and I would still call both uh, a buy, a long-term buy, definitely. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.